0: The title of today's message is Running Toward Your Rome. Running Toward Your Rome. The message this morning on running toward your Rome is really the message of Paul. Running toward his Rome, which is the actual city of Rome. That reminds me, I love big cities, powerful cities, pulsating cities, In my travels, I've had the opportunity to travel to many beautiful big cities. Probably the ones that stuck out the most for me, and this will probably tell you something about me, number one would be Washington, D.C., probably the most powerful city in the world. There you go. That's me, power. (laughs) Next is New York City, and specifically Manhattan. Some would say the financial capital of the world. Then one that may surprise you is Berlin. Now, when I visited Berlin, Germany was divided. Berlin was a city that heralded freedom right in the middle of communist East Germany. And finally, a city that many of us would love is Madrid. I've spent a lot of time in Madrid. I almost became a missionary to Madrid. You may not know that. We almost became missionaries to Madrid. Um, a, A city filled with art and history. I mean, for us, very important history. Christopher Columbus was commissioned there in Spain by the Catholic kings Ferdinand and Isabella to come to go discover new pathways and new countries and new lands and actually kind of stumbled upon our land, the Western Hemisphere. Well, in Paul's day, Rome was Washington, D.C., New York City, Berlin, and Madrid wrapped up into one pulsating city filled with power, lust, violence, and complete disregard for human life. Paul described its moral decadence in the first few chapters of his letter to the Romans. Do do you realize that the final third of the book of Acts is devoted to Paul running toward Rome? Rome? On the screen you will see Acts 19.21. It began there in Acts 19.21 where we read here Paul saying, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, modern day Greece, and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Acts has 28 chapters. For the next nine chapters, all the way through to Acts 28, which is where we're arriving today, We see Paul running toward Rome. In fact, today is the last day of his leg. The last leg of his journey. The last day of his leg. (laughs) Wow. The last (laughs) leg of his journey. That's a quotable. (laughs) He's going to get to Rome today. And in two weeks, this series will be over. (laughs) The message today will trace his voyage, and on the map here, I just want to show you the voyage from Caesarea on the eastern coast or the western coast of Israel, some 1,500 miles as the crow flies, that is straight line distance, but probably well over 1,800 miles if you follow the squiggly lines that Paul took to get to Rome. He's going to go from Caesarea all the way to Rome, the capital city of a vast empire that ruled the world at that time. So why did Paul have to see Rome? If we go back to Acts 19.21, that's what he said, I have to see Rome. Why was Paul running as hard as he could, metaphorically speaking. I really can't run over the Mediterranean, but he, he's running, metaphorically speaking, toward Rome. Did, did he just want to see the Colosseum? Visit the art museums as a tourist? No. The answer is found in the book of Acts. Acts 23.11, again on the screen. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, standing next to Paul, who sends Paul to Rome. The following night, the Lord stood by him, the Lord, the risen Lord Jesus, by him, Paul, and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Okay, how great. We know now why Paul wanted to go to Rome. But why study this? Why study a guy running toward Rome, metaphorically speaking, back in A.D. 62? Actually, to be specific, in late fall... AD 62. Why study something that happened 1951 years ago? Well, the link is that risen Lord. He's still alive, and he's still telling people to run toward their Rome. He's telling us to run toward our Rome. Now, let me ask you a question as you turn to Acts 27.1, because we're going to read about this journey. What, or maybe I should say, who is your Rome? And are you running hard toward it like Paul? Are you risking everything like Paul did because you must testify of Jesus? Did you catch that? Go back to that Acts 23.11. Did you catch the word must there? You must testify of me in Rome. Do you see that, the last line? As Jesus said it to Paul, so he says it to us. You must testify of me in your Rome. So to whom, church, must you testify of Jesus? To whom is God calling you to testify of the risen Lord Jesus? Right here in our Rome, and I'm so glad Don said this, right here in South Florida. We do not have to cross an ocean. There is an ocean of unbelief that is already here in our city, in our region in South Florida. And we're called to run across, sail across with the gospel Who is that for you? So with that question dangling before you, we are now going to cozy up around the fire, which there is no fireplace here in South Florida, but it's got a nice image, with Uncle Al. (laughs) You're going to grab your popcorn, and we're going to read this amazing race, this amazing journey, beginning in Acts 27, verse 1. And I want you to get yourself here. I want you to get yourself next to Paul. I want you to get your running shoes on, And let's follow Paul's journey on the map as I read it. So see if you can pick out all the places on the map that I'm going to be reading about. We're going to start down here on the right bottom corner in Caesarea. and We're going to take you all the way to Rome. Here we go. Got your Bibles? Got your popcorn? Grab your kids, pull them up next to you. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in a ship of Adramedium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus. You find Cyprus there? Because the winds were against us, and when we had sailed across the open sea, along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and to Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria, sailing for Italy, and put us on board. By the way, these ships were probably huge grain, wheat ships, filled with wheat for Rome. There was a shortage of wheat in Rome. So back then, there was no princess cruise liner, there was no royal, Caribbean, there was no carnival there was no, there was a cargo ship with stinky workers and stinky animals and a bunch of wheat and so they threw all the prisoners onto that ship sailing for Italy and put us on board, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus and as the wind did not allow us to go further we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salomone. so they're over here in Crete now <clears throat> Coasting along it with, it with some difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, because over, even the fast was already over, that tells us it was late fall of AD 62, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship. The owner of the ship wanted to get paid. He got paid in Rome. Then to what Paul said, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter, the majority decided to put out to sea. From there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix. So Phoenix would have been on this side of Crete. They just want to make this little trip over to Phoenix, right there. And so, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, When the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon... A tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Caudia. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship, then fearing that they would run aground on the Syretus. So at this point, they're probably out here and they were worried about hitting North Africa, the Syretus here. They didn't know where they were. Bottom line, they were in a hurricane. They were freaking out. Okay. They lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest, read, we are scared out of our mind. This is the biggest storm we've ever seen, lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, being violently seasick probably kills your appetite. Paul stood up among them and said, men, (laughs) you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God in whom I belong, to whom I belong, and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. This is what the angel told Paul. So, take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I I have told you, but... We must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, they were storm-tossed in a hurricane for 14 days. I mean, after a couple of hours, I'm ready to yell, Uncle, God, could you stop this right now? Could you move this hurricane away, please? That's in a home, in shelter. I can't imagine 14 days of this. So when the 14th night had come, we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. So now they're way over here. It's the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were hearing nearing land. How did they know that? I don't know. So they took a sounding and found... 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. I don't know what fathoms are, but I know 15 is less than 20, so it's less deep. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. I can relate to that. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, because they knew they were going to run aground, it was not going to be pretty. And had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Amazing. Lots of imagery there. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense. It's a nice way to put it. Horror might be a better way. And without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for I will give you, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. It's an amazing proclamation. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God, in the presence of all, he broke it, began to eat. What symbolism there. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So they unloaded all the cargo into the sea. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea at the same time, loosening the ropes that had tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind. I have no idea what all this means. They made for the beach. It just sounds cool. But striking a reef, that does not sound cool. They ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. So it was that all were brought safely to land. All 276. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. So we know they were right here. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us, because it had begun to rain and was cold. Remember, it's late fall. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. It bit him. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, he, Paul, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. (laughs) It's great, man. Go from murderer to God. Sounds like the internet today. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publis who received us and entertained us hospita- hospitably for three days. It happened that the father lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him and healed him. When they had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Amazing. Revival's going on. They, were also, honored. they, they also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, so they were there three months on Malta, Right? After three months, we set sail on the ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead, putting in at Syracuse. So now they sail up to Sicily. Syracuse, right there. We stayed there for a few day, for three days, and from there we made a, a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited. So now they're here on the mainland of Italy, right here. We we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. Hallelujah. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. Now catch this. Verse 15, 28, 15. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Church. Where or who is your Rome? To whom are you running with all your might in order to testify of the risen Lord Jesus? Willing to risk everything like Paul was because he knew he had to testify in Rome. Actually, he was told you're going to testify before Caesar. I'll tell you to whom Kevin and Claudia Abeg are running with all their might to testify of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a guest this morning, Here, I want to tell you that Kevin Abeg is one of our community group leaders. He and his wife, Claudia, do an amazing job of leading a community group, a community of individuals who meet every other Wednesday night. Actually, they meet a lot more often than that informally as well, but formally every other Wednesday night at their home. These precious folks, the folks in the community group, are some of the best in our church at connecting with one another and reaching out and connecting with their neighbor, with the world and outreaches and evangelism. Sunday, September the 8th, will be the Abeg's last Sunday with us. Kevin and Claudia will be leaving us for about nine months to go out to San Francisco to care for Kevin's father who has pancreatic cancer and his mother who is in the early stages of dementia. So with that in mind, I want to share with you the Rome to which the Abegs are running with godly abandon and faith. You see, their Rome is ministry to reach women and children caught in human trafficking and sex trade. They must do this. And they've wondered if God perhaps has taken them out to San Francisco, where there's been a lot of work and a lot of organizations in California to deal with this human trafficking and sex trade, a a lot more there to learn how to do it, so that they can learn about it and be trained and then perhaps come back to the Miami area and begin a ministry to those folks here. Do you know that experts call South Florida one of the capitals of human trafficking, which at the national level is a $36 billion industry? Miami metro area has been ranked third in the nation in terms of the prevalence of child sex trafficking. So Kevin and Claudia are wondering if, if indeed God will bring them back to Miami to start a ministry, perhaps a house, and there to be able to testify and be a safe house to the, of the risen Lord Jesus to their Rome, Miami, every bit as morally decadent as Paul's first century Rome. But a Rome like Paul's, ripe for gospel preaching, ripe for gospel ministry, gospel living to those in the bondage of sin, whether that sin is human trafficking and sex trade, or any of the other sins so associated with our beautiful city. They are running toward their Rome. And as Kevin wrote to me in an email on Friday, quote, Al, I know the Lord will continue leading if this is the direction we should go. We've got a general direction towards Asia and Bithynia. That comes from what we preached in Acts previously. But he will lead us to wherever our Macedonia is in his perfect timing." as long as we continue following him, seeking first his kingdom, running toward our Rome. Friends, God has a Rome for each of you to run toward. It is that person or those people to whom God sends you to testify of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the the journey won't be easy as you begin your run. Like Paul, there will be dangers. And as you run toward your Rome. God wants you to take heart, remembering two things. First, God wants you to take heart, remembering his power. And second, God wants you to take heart, remembering his faithfulness. And that's the main point of the text this morning. As you run toward your Rome, take heart, remembering God's power and faithfulness. As you run toward your Rome, take heart, remembering God's power and faithfulness. Paul remembered God's power. That's what he did, point one, and that's what we have to do. As Paul ran toward his Rome, he took heart, remembering God's power at work in the world of dangerous natural and human forces. This is a quote by Eckhart Schnabel. The next. As Paul ran, Toward his Rome. He took heart. He took heart in remembering God's power at work in the world of dangerous natural and human forces. See, see, Paul remembered God's power at work to protect him from dangerous human forces. Those prisoners that went on the ship with him in Caesarea, those are some dangerous dudes. Most of them were probably condemned men being shipped off to Rome to die an excruciating death at the pleasure of the crowds in the Colosseum, either to be torn apart by animals or to be killed by gladiators. Dangerous dudes. We read about the soldiers. The soldiers wanted to kill everybody when the ship was running aground. Dangerous, dangerous men. But God remembered, Paul remembered God's power and, 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 and God wants us to remember his power. And he wanted the first century church to remember his power. And you see his power in chapter 27, verse 42. Look at that. Verses 42 to 44. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plans. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. In the face of dangerous human forces, friends, we've got to remember God's power. It's going to be dangerous for the Abegs if God so chooses to lead them back down here to open a safe house for women that have been in human trafficking and sex trade. Men who force women into sex trade and human trafficking are not nice men. And they are dangerous men, but they're running toward their Rome, unafraid, trusting, remembering God's power. God's power. So, friends, how do we remember God's power? How do we do that? How do the Abegs do that? Well, I think they do it in the same way that Paul did it. They they, they study God's word. They pray. I, 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 can I offer you one scripture to memorize and study to remember God's power? It's Psalm 91. Write that down. I'm just going to read it to you. I pray this over you, I begs, even as you travel out to California. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. That's bad stuff and from the deadly pestilence, even worse stuff. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, or the bullet that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your, your tent, for you will, he will command his angels concerning you, Abegs, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder and the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You want to know how to remember God's power? You read that psalm. You memorize that psalm. Now, Paul was not only aware of God's power but to protect him from evil men, but he remembered God's power at work in a world of dangerous natural forces. These natural forces made sailing on the Mediterranean incredibly dangerous. Those dangerous natural forces, if we could see the map again, drove them out to the sea, where they neither ate nor slept for 14 days. I am sure that being seasick and horrified at that moment would keep you from eating. The ship was coming apart. They they were lost right here, somewhere out. For them, this was the great sea. I mean, they hadn't discovered the the Atlantic yet, but this was a long way from people from Israel, okay? They were lost. They were even thinking they would crash over here in North Africa. And then God, God's power intervenes when all hope seemed lost, when everybody on the ship was ready to say, we're dead, we're dead, this is over, you are going to die. Paul stands up in Acts 27, 21, and 25, and he says this, Do not be afraid, Paul. That same God is saying to us this morning, do not be afraid, Palm Vista. Do not be afraid, Abegs. You must stand before Caesar. There are people God has for us to stand before. And we must stand before them. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. How merciful of God. Because there is a bunch of murderers there. Evil people. Ruthless soldiers. God says, I'm going to save them all. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God. This is Paul's word. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you. And after this word came, there were several more days of storms. So God, God and his power. Listen, he doesn't come to calm the storm initially. He comes to give, communicate comfort and faith. God's power is at work in the midst of a world of dangerous, natural, and human forces. So how do we remember God's power? How do we remember that God's power is at work in this world right now, the world you and I live in, of dangerous, natural, and human forces? Well, first, we study this passage. During the coming weeks, study it. Secondly, we remember, listen, we remember another occasion when a bunch of followers of Christ were in a boat... And we're being tossed around by dangerous natural forces. We remember Luke 8, 24 to 25, and jot that down. Study that as well. And in Luke 8, 24 to 25, it says the following. And they, the disciples, went and woke him, Jesus, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he, Jesus, awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? Ah, Lord. I hear you saying it to me. So sorry for my complaining, my fear. I believe, help my unbelief. Hmm. Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey Him. You want to remember God's power? Remember this. Believe this. Jesus commands everything. Jesus commands your destiny. We just sang the song. Oh, you want to remember his power? Sing the song today. Sing the song a million times today. And when you sing it, sing verse 3 a thousand million times. And by the way, Zeke, thanks for making that song. It was a wonderful song. Great content. But I like things that really, you know, punch it. You punched it today. Thank you, musically. Because it helped me. Because I need this song. And I need verse 3. And here's what verse 3 says. No guilt in life. You want no guilt in life? Start running toward Rome. You're wrong. No fear in death. And while you're running, you may die. There's no fear. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry, we've got six babies about to be born in this church. Six in the next couple of months. That's a lot. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Does he command your destiny? Are you a Christian? Do you know him? More importantly, does he know you? And has he called you? If he does, there's no fear. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. We'll stand. Amen? Amen? So Paul, as he was running to his Rome, took heart remembering God's power And he took heart remembering God's faithfulness. Point two. God commanded Paul's destiny and Paul's destiny was to testify before Caesar and not even a bunch of cruel soldiers who could have snuffed out his life in a moment could snuff out his life and not the mightiest storm on the Mediterranean that battered them for 14 days and broke their ship apart could take his life because Jesus commanded Paul's destiny and Paul knew that and I can just imagine Paul beginning in chapter 28 when they were on the island of Malta and he was gathering wood because it was raining and it was cold it was probably December, maybe October, November and it was cold and rainy and I could just see him gathering the wood and Paul's walking around gathering the wood and you know what Paul was probably singing? Now, this is sanctified imagination, okay? All right. So you know what Paul was probably singing as he's thinking, I'm alive, wow. That was the craziest 14 days of my life thus far. But I'm alive. I can just imagine he's gathering the wood and he's probably singing, Great is thy faithfulness. I could just hear him now. In that, in that last section that, again, I like because it's sort of new and it kind of punches it a little bit. Jesus, you're faithful when all has gone wrong. Steadfast in mercy, though I wander off. In this line, he's really singing, you carry me into and out of the storm. And then I can just hear him throw his head back. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. And he's gathering the wood, and what he doesn't see is this poisonous viper that is now emerging from the wood and bites him right in the arm. And suddenly, everybody around the fire stops. Gasps! The people from Malta, oh, they know what's going to happen next. Either his heart will stop and he just goes, Boom, or some people, you know, it's like they're taking bets. Will he just keel over? Or some people just start expanding and, and swelling and then something blows up and they, they pass out. And they die. They're, they're like, which one's going to happen? And then one of the guys in the back, you know, he says, ah, I know what the deal is. You're a murderer. And justice won't let you survive the sea. Now, remember, they're pagans. Who is Justice? It's the Greek goddess Dike. The Greek goddess Dike, who was the daughter of Zeus, the chief god. And her job was to watch over mankind. And when everybody, everybody, if whenever someone did something wrong, she would report it to Zeus so that he could punish them. So there, the pagans are going, Ha ha! Dike got you! You thought you survived the earth, the water, but you're going to die now, buddy. You're a murderer. And they stood and watched. And Paul shook the viper into the fire. There goes fried serpent. A little fried calamari. And, uh, and he keeps singing Great is Your Faithfulness. They're watching him. And he keeps singing Great is Your Faithfulness. And they're watching him. And it says a long time went by. And he didn't die. And then I could just look, he spent three months on this island. He ends up praying for people to get healed. I believe probably a church was started there. You know what I think happened? Another sanctified imagination? Here's what I think happened. Paul was on his way to testify of Jesus Christ to Rome. But along the way, Paul is testifying of Jesus Christ. Everywhere his foot goes, every place the sea takes him, everywhere a wind blows him, he's talking about Jesus. And you know what Paul probably did in Malta? Paul probably said this. Hey, guys, guess what? You were right. I am a murderer. I watched Stephen get stoned to death. He was brutally murdered and I said yes to it. I chased down Christians for years and persecuted the church and I stood by their murder and their imprisonment. I'm a murderer, you're right. But here's where you're wrong. You see, Zeus doesn't exist. And D.K., she's a figment of your imagination. I serve the one true God. And that God has judged me. But the reason I'm standing here is he put my judgment on Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Jesus. Risen from the dead. He took my death. That's why I'm not dead right now. That's why that storm didn't take me. That's why the serpent won't take me. And nothing will take me until God's done with his purposes for my life. Let me tell you about Jesus. He spent three months telling them about Jesus. You know, at this point in the narrative, we're reading it. Imagine the first century church. They're no longer wondering if Paul's going to get to to Rome. They're just wondering what incredible things God's power and faithfulness are going to do to get Paul to Rome. I mean, what more can happen to this guy? So how do we remember God's faithfulness? Well, first, like Paul, we remember God's mercy on us, friends. And we declare this trustworthy statement that the Apostle Paul uttered in another letter that he wrote, 1 Timothy 1, 15-17. And we declare this, we memorize this, and it says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among among whom I am the foremost. I can just see Paul preaching that to the guys of Malta. You're right, I'm a murderer. I don't deserve to be here. I'm worse than all these other criminals here. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Believe, Maltese. To the king of the ages, he breaks out into worship. Immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, remember that, church. You will remember God's faithfulness. When you think you have not been dealt a good deal, remember that you got the best deal. You have been forgiven. You deserve to be killed, storm-wrecked, bitten by a viper, whatever, because you and I, were murderers. We're liars. We're thieves. We're idolaters. But God punished his son that we might have life. This is how you remember God's faithfulness. You declare it. You recite it. You post it on Facebook. You tweet it. You go to your Rome talking to your people. No time here. But as you read all the way through to Acts 28.15, we see Paul arriving in Rome. And what do we see? Verse 15. Acts 28.15. What do we see? Paul, when he sees these Christians walking up to him, meeting him at the three taverns, on seeing them, at the end of Acts 28.15 it says, Paul thanked God and took courage he took heart oh friends here's the final point this is the point you need to memorize here oh on your journey as you run toward your Rome take heart remembering God's power and faithfulness I can tell you that as you run toward your Rome with heartfelt godly abandon like the Abegs are doing your life will never be the same It will be a life worth living, one with rewards in this world and in the world to come. You see, listen, a healthy church is a church filled with people who, as they run toward their Rome, take heart remembering God's power and faithfulness. They run toward their Rome in coordination with the vision of the church under the care and leadership of the elders. What does it look like for each member to run toward their Rome? I want to give you practical application, but in one sense, I can't give you too practical because I don't know what your Rome is, who your Rome is. It's going to be as different as the members of this church are different. There'll be packs of you that run toward the same romes, But I can't tell you this. What characterizes a people that are running toward their Rome, taking heart in God's promises and God's faithfulness and God's power, it, what's characterizing them is the people who give, who initiate, who care, who own the vision, who connect, who experience God's grace, and they run hard and they run fast with godly abandon. I can just tell you one of the Romes that I'm running toward, I have several, metaphorically speaking, I'm running toward connecting with my neighbor. Some have called that evangelism. Some some have called that mercy ministry. I was moved to tears last week on this video of his house. When when I drive through Miami Gardens, I know it as Carroll City or Opelika, I'm provoked to reach these folks. They're right there. Like Don said, there is an ocean that separates us, but it's not a, a physical ocean. When I think of it, I'm just starting to get to know about the human trafficking. I'm provoked. I'm like Paul in Athens. I'm walking around looking at the idols, and I'm provoked. I'm mad. Maybe some of you want to come run with me. Let's go take a run. It's not going to be easy. Let's go take a run. Maybe some of you may run toward ministering to those involved in human trafficking. Maybe God will envision you to prepare the way for the Abegs during these nine months should they return to Miami by beginning to research the problem of human trafficking in South Florida. A recent grand jury investigating child trafficking here in Miami-Dade County was surprised to find that nobody seems to know the best way to treat the victims. Quote, Sometimes the bond is so strong that the victim actually sees the sex trafficker as a savior. State attorney Catherine Fernandez-Rundle said, quote, it takes a rewiring of their whole way of thinking. We know it about rewiring of whole ways of thinking. We know the best way to treat the victims is to introduce them to the true savior. Not some false savior, some false God who abuses and hurts them the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world who rewires our thinking by giving us a new heart. So what does running toward your Rome look like? Take time to pray. Ask God. Then take the initiative to start running and go get a couple of running partners. Let's be a church full of people running toward our Rome, friends. And as we, as you run toward your Rome, take heart remembering God's power his faithfulness. Let's close in prayer. No time to sing. Let's just close in prayer. Lord God, I pray that your faithfulness would be showered upon your people. We are not an impressive people. We're not a mighty people. You never chose the mighty. You never chose the impressive. You chose the weak. You chose those people who are not much in the world's eyes. But we're your people. That's our boast. We're your people. We're your people. So Lord, I pray that you would begin to reveal to each one of us, what's the Rome I'm to run toward? It could be active or more active involvement in community group. It could be active involvement in children's ministry. It could be active involvement in evangelism. It could be active involvement in the worship team. It could be active involvement in something we're not doing yet. As you chose the Georges to start running toward their Rome when their son was diagnosed with cancer. As you chose Jeannie to to run toward her Rome when, when she realized there was a ministry to help women who wanted to have pregnancies and it would open up next door to the abortion clinic she used to run in Hialeah. There's so many Romes. His house is a Rome for the youth. Saturday, David Behar is out there serving these youth, these abandoned children, finding out what they specifically want need, buying them Special water bottles with their names on them. And the kids said, I've never had one. I've never, my names never looked so beautiful. That's wrong for him. One life at a time. So give us strength to run together in a coordinated fashion with your power, your faithfulness ever in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just let me, let me bless you. Church, you are the city of God, the people of God. You are secure in God because all the powers of evil are under His control. God will defend you as His people, for God alone accomplishes the promised victory. No weapon fashioned against you shall succeed. God will protect you and defeat every enemy, no matter how powerful. In Jesus Christ, the risen, ruling, and returning King of kings and Lord of lords, the only wise God. Amen and amen.